Hello, and welcome to another episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. My name is Catherine Troyer, and joining me is Anthony Tresca. Oh, hello. That was super creepy. I will never... Let me let me try it again. Set me up again. And this is, hopefully, a less creepy version of Anthony Tresca. Hello! Yay, much better. <laughs> so, this is a podcast devoted to thoughtful discussions about that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so, so thankful and excited that you are joining us today for our discussion over the 2019 film, The Dead Don't Die. is a horror comedy, which if you've been listening to our podcast before, you know that Anthony and I are particularly fond of horror comedies. They're our bread and butter. They are. Um, just filled with just weirdness in this episode. That's exciting. <laughs> um, and <laughs> they are... Off to a good weird start, which yeah, is, which you is, know what? I, it's very fitting for, for this film. It is, but, but much as I don't care 100% for the film... I may not care 100% for this version of Anthony. We have wait, we will have to to see as the episode progresses. We'll do a review as we at yeah, the nice. end of the episode. That's nice. Um so that's something though that I want to make clear that oftentimes especially with horror comedy we're really very much in agreement. We are not quite uh, in agreement with this film. Anthony liked it more than I did. I don't know if you would say that like what did you end up giving it in terms of like I gave it a three out of five. That's not bad. As and and you have to know, listeners, that Anthony is a very harsh grader of his films. Um, so a three is actually really rather high. Well, because average is two point five. Yeah. That's like if a film is fine, you, it gets a two point five. You yeah. do you have to do a little something extra to get a three from me. And see, whereas I would probably give the average film a three, just because I feel like that's. A better number for me as the average I would give this film more like a 1 to 1.5 so we are going to be in some disagreement for this episode that sounds like a pretty big disagreement yeah yeah it is I mean it's it's 50% different so so that'll be exciting but but we thought uh, as usual that we would begin with a critical framework and I because of my more or less apathy towards this film asked Anthony what he thought I should do and he made a very good recommendation, which was to set us up for a discussion of one of the film's features, whether or not that's a redeeming feature, is up for discussion. And that is the sort of meta-narrative, ironic, very aware of itself. The entire film just is drenched in irony. It, you cut it open, it's filled with irony. Everything it does is irony. Yeah, uh, see, and I guess... I can't entirely agree with that because if it had been more of that, I think I would have liked it more. I think that when it was at its sharpest, it was when it was doing that at the best. But there were just moments that it just fell to pieces. But before we get we'll, there... We'll, we'll get into that. We will get into there, that. Before that, though, I want to talk about a text that is pretty well recognized in horror scholarship. And that is the 1996 article, Recreational Terror, Postmodern Elements of the Contemporary Horror Film by Isabel Pinedo. This text sort of sets up 
what we think of when we think about what postmodern horror looks like. And postmodernism has never been my particular cup of tea because it's often much more experimental and odd and less sort of fixed than I usually like, which is I, one of the reasons I don't like this film. And, and I feel like you're it's not going to come as much of a surprise to you when I say I do like postmodern See, and yeah, things. Whereas the classes that I, in college, that I disliked the most as an English major were the like postmodern poetry. I was like, please make it stop. Um, oh, well, whereas, I can agree with you on most postmodern poetry. But <laughs> even even like theater, like it's just, it's just not my oh. cup of tea. I know. And, and partially because that term postmodern is, it's by design intended to be really experimental and it's intended to be pushing against what was the modernist movement and that means that it's often just different. Um, and that's not like the best definition of postmodernism, but it's the fastest. So in um, her article she Panito begins by sort of talking about like what is the postmodern movement and how is that a break or a shift from modernism and how can we conceptualize it and how does it look and and she spins before she even gets to horror she just kind of has to talk about this term that that often has a very large and difficult to define definition but when she gets to her definition of postmodern horror she more or less offers five characteristics that you know like two decades in advance could have foretold the dead don't die. Indeed. And so she says that despite the, this is a quote from her, despite the enormous breadth of films that fall under the rubric of horror, there are identifiable elements that define horror in general, classic horror, and postmodern horror. And then she says, here are the five characteristics that she thinks constitute postmodern horror. One, there is a violent disruption of the everyday world. Two, there's a transgression and violation of boundaries. Three, the validity of rationality is thrown into question. Four, there is no narrative closure. And five, the film produces a bounded experience of fear. And by that last one, she really means that there are some horror films that when we leave them, we're like, wow, humanity's terrible and that's fantastic. Now I'm going to have to dwell in this pit of darkness for a while. Like that martyrs for example for example whereas although some of martyrs i think you could very much say is postmodern but in Um, the end i think it does it doesn't ultimately meet all of these characteristics no No, it doesn't um whereas films like cabin in the woods right are is another good example of a pretty clear postmodern horror film one that i actually really like so so anyway so i think that these criteria really nicely set up the dead don't die and I mean, honestly, if you had told me that you were just, like, reading from, like, a New York Times article about this film, and this is how they described the exact plot, I would have believed you. Yeah, because you can tell that this is a film where they are very aware of the tropes of the genre, of the players of the genre, of, of everything that the genre sort of does, and they're just sort of pivoting it and putting it on its head. And while I think in moments it does work, I just in other moments really feel it doesn't yeah agree to disagree yeah we can do that so why don't you tell us a little bit about the background of the film so the dead don't die 2019 american horror comedy film written and directed by jim jarmusch it features an ensemble cast that includes bill murray adam driver steve buscemi rza tilda swinton tom waits danny glover caleb landry jones carol kane and selena gomez i mean really 
And there are many things that I don't like about the film, but the acting was not one of them. Right. Like, the characters, as portrayed by the actors, are just In- Indeed. Uh, this, I mean, it, it's fitting that this film was advertised as the greatest zombie cast ever disassembled. Yeah. Uh, it's fitting. The cast is yes. is worthy of that t- that name and like yes. that wordplay. I would say. Uh, so the writer and director of this is Jim Jarmusch, who is, if you're into like counterculture and like weird experimental type films and projects, which I'm not, which you're yes. not, but dear listeners, if you are, he this guy's probably you probably know who he is because he's an American film director, screenwriter, actor, producer, editor, and music composer. Uh, he's been a major proponent of independent cinema since the 1980s, directing films like Stranger Than Paradise, uh, Dog Ghost, uh, excuse me, uh, Stranger Than Paradise, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, Coffee and Cigarettes, Broken Flowers, Only Lovers Left Alive, and Patterson. Uh, and he's also worked as a musician, composing music for his films and releasing two albums. He's a, he's a very weird dude. He's into very much into like this countercultural approach to the world. He only he talked about it in an interview. He only puts a film by as protection of his rights, but he doesn't really believe in what that means. Uh, so he's just like the navigator of the ship, but he's not the captain. He kind of just lets everyone be involved. He says, as I've said before, it's like seduction, wild sex, and then pregnancy in the editing room. That's how it feels for me. That is so gross. Um, And I think it's important, like, to put this in context. Most of the people that have written and directed these these horror films are a little quirky, right? Like, most of them are a little bit odd ducks. Not just because I think horror draws those people, but also because just the act of creating, right? Like, creators, be they actors, writers, um, directors, they're just going to be a little odd. So when you say that somebody is is peculiar, right? Like, that means they're really peculiar. And I think that quote about the wild sex and pregnancy is a pretty good... It's a pretty good indicator of this guy and, like, what he's about. Yeah. He also believes he's a firm, firm believer that nothing is original, uh, so you should actively steal from anything that resonates with you or inspires you, fuels your imagination. So he's a big proponent of just, like, consuming as much media and content as possible, uh, looking around at things outside, trees, street signs, clouds, body of water, light, shadows that inspire you, and then just directly steal and take from them. Do whatever you want with that. Which, you know, that's... That's what I do, is I steal my best material from trees. Yeah, I mean... So, you know, I'm like, mmm, that leaf. That, that reminds tr- me of an article. Yeah, so that's that's how I personally operate, so this is good. And he, this is just, he's just... There's a Guardian article that was written about him in 2004 called A Talk on the Wild Side. Um, that just talks about how this how weird and quirky he is. Uh, they describe him as every bit as cool as his characters. Shades, silver chains attached to his black ha- pants, that thick white hair that he's had forever, and a deep, deep voice. But he's also as uncool as his characters. He looks a little anachronistic, is a little uncertain about whether to smoke, and despite the great voice, fails to catch the waitress's attention. I actually rather like that description, that idea that he's simultaneously as cool and uncool as his characters, which, if you think about the characters of Dead Don't Die, is, like, the perfect way to describe someone, like, picture the best and worst attributes of these characters, and that's what 
the creators really like because that's actually a fantastic description yeah very apt and I imagine that applies to almost all of his films and everything he's done so uh, the production for this film it was announced uh, during the press tour uh, in uh, February of 2018 during Isle of Dogs which both Bill Murray and Tilda Swinton were on they announced their involvement in this zombie film then in March of 2018 Murray confirmed that Daniel Craig was going to be in it and co-star Uh, which ultimately, as we know, didn't end up happening. Uh, Speaking of the project, Murray said uh, in an interview with the Philadelphia Inquirer, while discussing his touring variety show, uh, that he says, it's a zombie movie. Uh, Jim has written a zombie script that's so hilarious and has a great cast of actors. It shoots over the summer, but no, I I will not play a zombie. Do you know, I feel feel one of the ways I would have been more okay with this film is if it hadn't been promoted and and sort of packaged as a zombie film and and not because of what happens right not because of like the twists because i don't mind that but because i don't actually think even though the dead don't die right like even though that's happening i don't feel like it reads as a zombie film and i think that was one of my problems with it is that i just don't feel i feel like it is a more successful quirky horror film than it is a zombie comedy film. Well, it's very interesting that you mentioned that because uh, Jim actually talked about in an interview with the Rolling Stones how he doesn't like zombies. Period. Uh, it's the ironic thing. He says uh, he's not a zombie fan. He's more of a vampire guy. He thinks they're more complicated. They're sexual. Oh they're gosh. smart. They have a lot of difficult things they need to do to survive. Uh, he says that they're effing cool. What's cool about a zombie? They're lifeless forms. They're soulless humanoids. They're an excuse. So he, he he doesn't he you know, he doesn't really love zombies, but he what he does talk about in this article is he likes the metaphorical things that you can do with zombies. He thinks they're indicative of the genre, uh, the metaphorical ability of zombies from the very first one with George Romero. Uh, I, he, so he acknowledges that, and that's why he ultimately talks about in this article why he chose to include zombies to get the meta uh, metaphorical use of zombies in here with consu- and to pair it with consumerism. And again, I'm, I'm definitely willing to agree with that. I just I think if they had just said it's a quirky little horror film and then they left us to be like, oh, there's some zombie stuff I would have had less of an issue with it. It's just that again, and this is not the first nor will it be the last time, that this will be an issue for me or you. Um, not that it is this time for you, but but that's the packaging of a film. Right? Indeed. A lot of times, the reason that a film doesn't work for me is in part because of how it was marketed and set up. And I think that's a lot of like that will that explains a lot of the reaction to the film is that a lot of people didn't think it delivered on what they were promised. Uh, so it was released uh, at the Cannes Film Festival, uh, May fourteenth, twenty nineteen, and then it was got its larger release in the U.S. June fourteenth, and then uh, July twelfth in the United Kingdom made $14 million worldwide, and the critical and audience reception to the film was tepid at best. Uh, pretty pretty much like a split, like a mm. dead split. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the critics have it at a 56%, audience have it at 38 Ooh, uh, wow. IMDb has it at a 5.5 out of 10. Metacritics uh, critics gave it a 54. Audiences have a 5.2. And... If we're thinking about about why the response might have been the way it is, 
I think that, again, some of it has to do with, like you said, like it, it wasn't the film that they thought they were going to be seeing, which we've talked about before as being a really important factor in determining people's responses to things. Setting up audience ex- audiences' expectations is, I mean, what you promise the audience, you would better deliver. Yes, and you had better deliver it without giving it all away beforehand, right? Which is the other extreme that that oftentimes these marketing campaigns go to. And this film was very much promoted as just like a laugh a minute zombie yes. romp. Like very much in like the style of like a zombie land or a yes. Shaun of the Dead. Yes. And instead, it's really an example, like the a quintessential example of the postmodern horror. So to to go back to Panito, and again, like it sounds like I am describing this this film like as though she wrote about it but she says the boundaries between living and dead normal and abnormal human and alien and good and evil are blurred and sometimes indistinguishable and in contrast to the classical horror film the postmodern film locates the horror in the contemporary everyday world Mm -hmm. and a little later she says women play a more prominent role as both victims and heroes the postmodern genre promotes a paranoid worldview in which inexplicable and increasingly internal threats to the social order prevail. And if if you know that's what you're getting into at the start, the film becomes, I think, more palatable. If you're thinking that it's going to be more as it was advertised, as like you said, a zombie land or Shaun of the Dead, it, it doesn't work just kind of across the board. It might be to my benefit that I did not see it when it was in theaters, and so I didn't have... I re-watched the trailer before this so I could just like see how it was promoted uh versus what it actually was and it bad trailer bad trailer in terms of promoting actively the film itself yes it's a very it doesn't articulate what the film is about at all which is this postmodern, highly ironic take on the genre um so when I watched it I didn't have any of those expectations fresh in my mind all I knew was that you didn't like it and so I was like okay well I probably won't like it either because I we do right. tend to agree. But then I found myself rather enjoying it, and I was like, I wonder why this is. It could be because I didn't have the expectation of it being this bloody romp. Right, and I think that's so. I think that's part of my dislike for it. I think this is maybe the only time where I'm going to cite your remedy to to every film that you feel is a slightly broken, and that is, I I thought the film just needed to be significantly shorter. I thought it was incredibly self-indulgent um, and not the good self-indulgent. So what I think what upset me so much is there's there's so much like gold in there. Like one of my favorite recurring like elements is the song on the radio. I do enjoy like, that song. I thought that was just because it's just so fantastic, right? Like and it's and it's that's it's one of those song. like sort of like very self-aware moments or I thought the whole diner sequence, I thought all of that um, was lovely with like you know, when the police arrive at the diner and there's the bodies. Like, I thought all of that worked. The per- Like, the rule of three. Like, yes. three different people walk into the diner and describe the, sen- the scene exactly the same yes. way. Yes. Like, there's just so many moments where, like, this is, this is, like, he knows his stuff. This is comedy and, or And then they gold. call back. Through. Like, yes. on the newscast later, it's just, like, it looks like it could have been an animal or perhaps a few animals. Yes. Like, I just thought that was so great. But then... The he there would be other moments in the film that it was just like okay, somebody should have told you that there needed to be further editing. I think that's one of the risks of having a writer director is they have the best 
like vision of their own product. Well, do you but you, but didn't you hear his quote about the editing ugh, process? Do you, do you gross. want me to read it no, again? Please don't. <laughs> it was so gross. If the movie is his product. Oh yeah. Oh god. Yeah. If, yeah. If this is if this is the movie that he's made, and this is what he's equating wild sex to, and pregnant and like impregnation, like I just ew. I would not describe this movie as wild sex. No, I would describe it as ironic like, sex or sloppy sex. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna go there because I think that where it was sharp, it was super sharp, but too often it was just it was just self indulgent, and and again the sex metaphor works nicely, right? Um, it does work. It was very apt. It was yeah, very good work there. It's just. You know, it's supposed to be a consensual act, and I don't think I was always consenting with where we were headed. And thus ends our super gross, hopefully, um, this will be the end. Of this I, it'll it'll die. I won't yes. go on with it. Yeah, thank you. Um, in fact, we may The dead don't that. die, but this bit will. Thank you. Thank you for that. That was lovely. Um, and, and I think really, again, when I, when I trace through, it's that every one of the storylines or every one of the, like, little moments. They're tableaus. I mean, they're... They are, but I didn't feel like... So I understand if, if, again, if we're going back to this definition of postmodern horror, we're going to not have the narrative closure we expect. And I don't need traditional narrative closure, but I do need for it to not feel as though at some point they were like, you know, be real great. What if, wait, wait, what if we put in this bit about, like, I just felt like that, that not everything worked organically and it could have even within a tableau construction. See, I thought it did. I was worried that it wasn't going to work as organically as it did because a lot of the tableaus initially seemed just totally in separate worlds. And I was like, I guess this does work very nicely within like the postmodern construct that this film is uh, building up and that there won't be like a, a satisfying closure and that it's very just like in this moment, it's bound experience because you're seeing all these different points in time. But then it actually kind of did everything did in a way tie together. And so you didn't get proper narrative closure. I mean, you can't in a film right. that acknowledges it's a film and that these right. two main characters have read the script to this film. Which and I was almost there for. I needed a little bit more setup. Like, I just felt like you, they couldn't. But yes, anyway, in a film that's literally acknowledging that it's a film. You, you're never going to have that proper narrative yeah. closure. In a film that literally ends with Tilda Swinton going up to the, with, into the aliens in the sky, <laughs> that's what, and then the two heroes fighting the zombies and being consumed. Sure, you're not going to get proper no, narrative closure, but we did see the ends of every character that we had met along the way. Yeah, so you're correct that, that we are... Which we, I didn't think that every right. character was going to end up being necessary i thought they had just like thrown in a lot of different characters just so they could have this ensemble cast and say like use that in the trailers or whatever i was like oh well that'll be my knock against it but i don't really think that that's mine no you're correct this was not one of those films where they got someone to be in it for two minutes so that they could say so and so's in the film and and you're also correct that that we do have a as much of a narrative closure as we're going to get for all the major sort of worlds right and then we see them interact i think i think my problem is is that somewhere between the introduction to to these characters and these stories and the conclusion to them 
there was something, I don't know, there was just something missing for me. And I think to go back to your, to your example about when they're like referencing the script, I would have been so willing to, to buy that if there had been some setup to that ahead of time. It just felt like as the script was being written, there was like, you know, it'd be kind of funny. What if we just put in this bit where they are, you know, doing whatever. And, and that's, that's how, the, and again, it goes back to this idea of self-indulgent. It just felt like rather than being a carefully worked out component, it was a, oh, this would be funny. And if people don't get it, that's okay. They may not be able to get it because that's just maybe they're not good enough. Like, I just, I felt like that was the aesthetic. I will agree that I don't think every single joke worked. And I, I think that specific joke did actually work for me. I just don't think it was as nearly as funny as they may have thought it was. But I, like, I got where it was coming from because I, uh, Adam Driver at the beginning uh, did keep saying, uh, this is not going to go well. Or it's like, he re- he's like, oh, I love this song. It's This is the theme song. The dead don't die. Right. And so I'm like, okay, I see what this is. And then there's no comment from uh, Bill Murray's character at all. The scene just goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, okay, I'm willing to go with this. I mean, that joke is not quite as funny as I think right. that everyone involved may have thought it was. But I appreciated it. I was like, I see what you're going for here and how it advances this postmodern, highly ironic atmosphere of this movie which I think is the best part is that while every little component may not be 100% and I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that there is quite a few deficiencies within the film um, the atmosphere it does succeed in creating to me was one that I found rather enjoyable and also why overall I think I did ultimately end up enjoying the film you know, I think you really hit the nail on the head for why I just don't think I'll ever be able to like it as much as you did. And that is, you said that you don't know if it worked as well as they seem to think that it did. And it kind of reminded me of like outtakes where, you know, whenever they're put in the movie and you're like, these are not as funny as, as you all remember them being. Or it's one of the reasons why. And this is going to make me sound super, like, bah humbug. I don't really like weddings because, like, unless you're intimately involved with that couple, like, know them really well, it just feels like one giant inside joke that you're not a part of. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're like, that's real swell, strangers. Um, And I felt like that was what this movie was. It was was a delightful experience for them that translated into a okay experience for me. And I think I liked the experience. I, I may have... I don't... For whatever reason... I, I think I do know what reason. Yeah, I, I was going to say. I, I enjoy postmodern you do. things more than you do, it, it you seems do. like. And so, naturally, if I like the elements of postmodern more, I'm in on more of the jokes because that's what I like. That's the type of stuff I gravitate yes. towards. And so, it and you works like, for me. You like improv as a like concept more than I do. I, I, like, do. I like being part of improv, but I don't like experiencing it the way you do. And this is really just a filmed improv that just happened to have been already scripted. You know what I mean? Like, it had that kind of same feel to it in like many this, ways. Like a loose kind of freeform. A loose freeform-y feel, a, like, we invite you into our jokes, and in this moment you're part of us, um, but then we'll set you back free feel. That I just... Works for you, and and clearly doesn't for me. Yeah. So I think, I think ultimately, if you're a fan of postmodern mm-hmm. works, and, or, like, highly ironic comedy that knows it thinks it's above the joke it's it's assuming you will 
go with them and indulge them yes. with the jokes. I think you'll you'll like this movie. I don't think I'll... I don't love this movie, but I liked it. I thought it was a good time. I enjoyed it. I didn't dislike... I didn't have right. nearly as strong of a negative reaction yeah. to this film as you yeah, ultimately did. So if you're a fan of postmodern works, I think you should check it out. I, I quite enjoyed it. And I think if you have the time and even are not necessarily a fan of these things, it is worth seeing if only because I think that films that are aware of the horror genre are worth seeing. Films that are like aware of all the things that have been happening and all the things that will be happening, um, you know, trends and, and, and all that stuff, that that is something that as a horror fan um, or scholar, you should, you should be aware of. You should be aware of what does horror have to say about itself. And so in that respect, it's, there are worse ways you could spend a couple hours. There are better ways, but there are, there are worse ways, too. Definitely worse ways. And the cast does some good work. And the cast work. does I mean, some good work. I mean, you really... Anything that's going to have Bill Murray and Tilda Swinton in it together, I mean, you know... Tilda Swinton, at this point, has just, like, got the market cornered on a whole type of character. Which, good for her. Honestly, yeah. She made her own character type. She did. She said, you know what? I am not, happily not, the ideal quote, ideal female actress. Uh, so guess what? I'm going to make my own ideal female character. And, and she's, she has, and she's delightful. Yes, and she's very good in this film. She's she's actually, I think she's one of my favorite parts. I also think she, yeah. I, I'll say, she is my favorite part. Yeah, I think she's, I think she might be too, which is why I actually didn't have any problem with the alien thing because I was like, oh good, she can do it. She She's already like communicating that, that alienness. So for our next film, we are going to to be once more in agreement because I know mm-hmm. how stressful you all find it. Yeah, when um, we fight. That's right. It's just I know that you're just sitting there like with bated breath um, and hoping that we will once again say, yes, we feel the same way. And that is for the 2017 film, The Babysitter, which is going to be our third film uh, that is a horror comedy in a row in terms of our discussion for the podcast, but mainly because we've talked about some super dark films, um, and so we wanted to just, you know, lighten things up for a little bit. So, uh, The Babysitter is available on Netflix. It's a Netflix original film, so you can either use your Netflix account to uh, watch the film, or you can borrow one of your friend's passwords. Or watch it with them. That would be an even better option. Human interaction. Yes, human interaction and a delightful horror comedy. A, a good what more film. could you ask for? Nothing. That's it. That's all you ask for. Yeah, yeah pretty much. So uh, a quick check-in. Uh, now it's the end. Uh, review of my ultimate behavior. I knew at the top you said you didn't know whether oh, yeah. or not. Yes, yeah, so you became much more palatable as the, the episode progressed. Now, I don't know how you're going to end this episode, so it's very possible you're going to go weird again. I wasn't planning on it. Oh, I have put ideas in his head. <laughs> Bad. Bad. Um, quick, we must end the podcast before his ideas have chance to take root. Please uh, like <laughs> us as always. Uh, if you have something exciting or even not exciting that you want to share with us, do so on social media and join us for our next episode on The Babysitter. Bye-bye. Yep, that was a little weird. Okay, well, then I did end it on a little bit of a weird note. I'll say just... Goodbye. Also weird. (laughs)